Thank you for tuning into this episode of Cliffs and Fences. Cliffs and Fences is an intersection of wellness, public health, and healthcare policy. In this episode, I sit down with Dr. Quadro Caramenteng, who is the Department Head of Critical Care at the Ottawa Hospital in Canada. He dedicates his time to care for the sickest of the sick patients in the intensive care unit. As a researcher, he is interested in using ICU resources more efficiently and improving access to palliative care in the ICU. To help do this, he founded the Resource Optimization Network, a multidisciplinary research group working to reduce healthcare spending in this area without compromising care. In 2019, Dr. K launched the Solving Healthcare podcast, where he features interviews and discussions on topics of improving healthcare delivery in Canada. During the COVID-19 pandemic, Dr. K created Solving Wellness, a virtual health and wellness platform for health care professionals. Solving Wellness has been helping address healthcare burnout and providing health, fitness, and self-care for its members. If you want to help the show out, please leave a five-star review after listening to this episode. If you want podcast updates as well as clips after the show, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Thank you again for listening to this episode. Joining me now is Dr. Quadro Caramenteng. Um, he is an ICU doctor based in Ottawa, Canada. Uh, he is a proud, uh, I, I learned this over the weekend, a proud Oilers fan. Um, I know he's, he's all about the Oilers. Um, so he sees, for anybody who doesn't happen to know what an ICU doctor is, uh, Dr. K sees the sickest of the sick. Um, he has recently... Um, authored or um, collaborated with a group of physicians to create what is called the Urgency of Normal to- Toolkit, which is uh, one of the main reasons why I wanted to talk to him. But he's also got his own podcast, and so he's very familiar with the social media realm uh, of, of things and has a, a fantastic following, uh, has a fantastic platform. Um, he's got great uh, content. So please, um, after you're done listening to uh, our show today, Go check out his TikTok, um, his podcast, uh, Solving Healthcare, if, if, if I have that title correct, um, because it is it is truly great content. So, Dr. K, thank you so much for uh, for joining us today. Jared, I'm just so glad you reached out, but my friend, I'm really excited to be here today. The show's killing it. It's under, like an early upstart show, man. So I'm 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 I feel like a, it was a one day I'll be like. Yo, I was on Jared's show for real. Check out this episode. So, like, uh, I'm I'm jazzed up for it, my friend. Oh well, fantastic! I'm so happy to hear it. Um, before we hop into talking about COVID, I know everyone right now is probably just kind of tired of talking about COVID, um, and so I I was sort of reluctant to, uh, you know, do this episode another th- another episode on COVID. But I think it's really important because I think the tide is is starting to turn, um, and I think. The urgency of normal toolkit is sort of a representation of that that tide turning, and so I definitely want to get into that. But first, uh, Doctor K, you are an ICU doctor. Uh, as I mentioned, you see the sickest of the sick. Um, we, you know, us Muggles, non-doctor folk, uh, we just saw <laughs> what you were doing on, you know, on TV. We would see these pictures, and we were, you know, that was what we were privy to. Um, talk to us what it was like. What was it like treating COVID patients in the height of the pandemic? Jared, I, I got to tell you, and at least initially, it was scary. It was anxiety-provoking. We saw what was going on in New York. We saw what was going on in Italy. And we're, we were in the position to where, you know, 
we we started to see some COVID patients roll in. I, I was there for our first one at one of our sites. And then you ask the question, is this going to be us? Is this going to be us overwhelmed, getting sick with COVID? Are our families going to be safe? And uh, it was scary initially, but but then you realize we could get through it. We saw a common thread amongst our COVID patients. You know, they were either older, uh, had multiple medical problems. We saw a lot of metabolic health issues, meaning uh, di diabetes, high blood pressure, or obesity was a common link. And, and we noticed that we were able to protect ourselves with the per, uh, personal protective equipment. And so it went from a state of high anxiety to uh, more a, a state of camaraderie, actually. Like it was like a whole nation, like the whole world just rallying behind healthcare professionals to get, navigate through these uh, uncharted times. And, you know, it sounds weird to say it, but I, at some point I was actually looking forward to come to work. You know, when everyone's at home, I, I got to go with my colleagues with this shared vision of getting patients through this and, uh, you know, connecting with people and, and being there for our patients. So it went from one extreme to another. And uh, but it, it also kind of you take a step back and you look at my colleagues and our nurses, our physiotherapists, our respiratory therapists, and you, you look at what they've done. And it's been truly amazing, actually. Like, I don't know if people really understand the the work that goes into taking care of our patients and and the, the level of commitment um you know it, it was really like it was inspiring like i was so proud to be part of it i was so proud of the uh, you know contributing and uh, you know a lot of us were just small segments of that but it was truly a team effort to like i i think i think i don't want to ramble too long about this but i remember we had one patient where one of the early cases too, young, young, young guy. And we thought we were going to lose him. And it really was 12 people in the room flipping him on his stomach because that improved his ventilation, trying to get a dialysis line in, into him, sending him off to CT scan to, to, and, and which was one of the most dangerous trips that I could remember and all collaborating to make sure that we are providing that, uh, you know, world-class care to the patient and, the short version is he came through, he's at home with his family now. And, but at, there was some points where we, we, we thought we were going to lose him, And it was just, you know, moments like that, where you just really realize how much amazing work that a lot of these healthcare professionals were providing. So, it, I mean, maybe not the answer that most people would be expecting, but uh, you know, that's me. I, I really was, this has been a life changing experience. Yeah, I, I can only imagine. Uh, I know it changed everybody's life, but like I said, you were the, you were the frontline doctors that people were talking about uh, and 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 cheering on. Um, and we obviously are so grateful for your service and your sacrifice. Uh, we know that you know you were putting yourself out there to for the for the uh, betterment of of you know humankind. Uh, uh, and I think that's that's an understatement in some in some aspects. I wonder. You talk a lot about the optimism, and I think um, what I wonder. When when the news that the vaccine came out, how did that change the dynamic? Um, I assume it added to the optimism. But did you expect that we were going to uh, get a vaccine uh, as quickly as we got one? No, I was not expecting it as quickly as we got in. I was, you know, quoted even on the news saying, hey, 
wait till you know the well into the new year 2021 spring 2021 and when when the early reports were coming out saying that we could get people vaccinated in december 2020 i i was i'm like what a what a miracle yeah, wait a minute and, wait and a <laughs> yeah exactly and i gotta say uh it was exciting i i i was um you know i was one of the you could say one of the first people in the in in my region to be able to, to be vaccinated and knowing that you're what what kind of transition we envisioned at the time you know as a result of people getting vaccinated really protecting themselves from getting uh severely ill it just was a, a huge uh time for hope and optimism and uh you know obviously there was some there was some concerns we went through multiple waves after that but it's changed everything it's changed it's i mean the reason that we can talk about exiting the pandemic is because of the vaccine so i i must say it uh it was a, an emotional time in our house i remember posting the picture of, of, of getting vaccinated just to just to kind of reinforce that you know as a as a healthcare provider as a scientist uh researcher like i believed I believed in it, and I, I really wanted to reinforce that this is an important step to us moving forward, and 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 even now. So I, it's it was a very special time. I wonder if you wouldn't mind giving us uh, your thoughts on. I mean, I I know I threw out you know uh, that I'm a medical muggle uh, that I I don't have any <laughs> background in you know data or analytics or science or anything like that, and. Even for someone that doesn't have that background, uh, even for someone like me, I was able to see the impact that vaccines made on the trajectory of the pandemic. Um, does it surprise you uh, that some people aren't uh, taking to that impact, uh, maybe underselling it and, and still sort of refusing to uh, get vaccinated? Now, I know I know not everybody's at the same risk and I'm not I'm not implying that everyone absolutely 100 percent needs a vaccine. Um but there is still that hesitancy out there, um, despite the 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 just immense impact that vaccines have had. Does that surprise you that that hesitancy is still out there? Yeah, I mean, to a certain degree, no. And I, I think we didn't do ourselves any favors. Like we didn't like when it came to the communication of the vaccine. I thought there was a lot of gaps, and and I also think some of the approach to communication we we were doing a very paternalistic approach as opposed to being more upfront with people and I, I think when people see through that that creates hesitancy and then of course there's a historical hesitancy in different um uh marginalized communities like i guess speak of in black communities from historic mistrust that you know that was a barrier to to entry and so um like one of the the main mistakes i think we 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 did was start promoting what percentage effect of uh, efficacy or effectiveness the vaccines had and people were starting to like shop around for vaccines like oh moderna's 93 but pfizer's 94 i'm gonna wait for my pfizer like th this was a disservice like yeah. the, and we we didn't really the way we we should have uh talked about the numbers was in in talking about severe disease like like, I don't care, per, like when I take the vaccine, what I care about is making sure I don't die from this or end up in hospital or whatever. If I end up with a runny nose, fine. But 
we didn't sell it that way. We 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 didn't emphasize the numbers on what the impact would be on severe disease. Severe disease being landing in hospital, landing in ICU, or dying from from COVID. And the results of the trials were were like I believe there was only one patient in one of the trials that was hospitalized. Like when you looked at the data, it was incredible. And so this is where we needed to celebrate. We needed to come with enthusiasm and energy and and optimism but you know you read the news oh man you you don't uh looking at that you want to gain that extra three percentage points like you hold it hold out like this is where i think we we did a disservice so i i'm not a hundred percent surprised that uh the, the, there's still that level of um hesitancy and also the fact that yeah like this was one of the fastest uh like it was the fastest developed uh vaccine so people you know, uh, we're hesitant at the speed, and but when you explain to them the processes and 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 the the science and and uh, the the safety profiles, like I think this is where you, taking the time and really having those nuanced discussions would help. But instead of saying like just take it, take it, or you're you're a bad person, I, I don't think that was doing anybody uh, doing anybody any good. Yeah, it was funny. Uh, you know, I, I sort of laughed when you mentioned the shopping around thing, because I remember early on w here in California, where I live, uh, when the vaccines were first getting administered, uh, people that was like, it was so strange to me, like when you met up with like family or friends, they're like, uh, and, the, and the topic of vaccinations came up, uh, they say, Oh, yeah, uh, so uh, which one did you get? Uh, you know, I'm like, Oh, I, you know, I got Pfizer. And they're like, Oh, Pfizer, huh? Well, I got Moderna. <laughs> And, you know, and it was like this, it was like this, uh, you know, West Side Story uh, gang fight between vaccines. And I, and in my head, I'm like, this doesn't like, do we do this with any other, uh, you know, I didn't, you know, I didn't go yeah. to grade school bragging about which polio vaccine I got. Um, exactly. So it's strange to me that we, that that happened and it's, and it's, uh, you know, just things that we laugh about. But, but I think as funny as it is, it also, it also is very serious. Like for the reasons that you pointed out is that we were sort of fixated on the wrong things. Um, and we see those consequences getting spilled into the discussion today of, you know, hey, do we need a fourth dose? Uh, you know, is my booster still good? Or should we booster 12 year olds and things like that? And uh, I just think, you know, I think you're spot on with 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 that assessment. Um, I wonder that communication obviously translate in, translates into policy. And I would say, you know, uh, for my misfortune, I I am not up to date on Canadian COVID policy. I didn't really keep up with it throughout the pandemic. Um, were there any like really big differences? Did Canada and the U.S. sort of follow the same path? What I do know is that your guys' rates of death are much lower than ours. Um, was there any policy that uh, that impacted those rates? Yeah, that's a great question. I think the the main one that was impactful off the top of my head was we separated doses. We, 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 we tried to get as many people with their first dose, um, as possible, as opposed to getting, you know, um, as many people, their second dose, meaning, you know, if you have, you know, a hundred people getting 50 people, their first doses, as opposed to 25 people fully vaccinated, uh, had an amazing effect because what the data showed that a single dose of, a single dose of uh, an mRNA vaccine was still 
quite impactful for severe disease, like preventing you from landing in hospital. And this is one of the things that, once again, that's got lost in, in all the data that was being thrown to people. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I think that was huge. That was that was a monster step. We did some efforts, at least in Ontario, uh, at some point to really focus on hardest hit spots. So if you're a hot spot, we bring the vaccines to you, uh, mm-hmm. you know, um, and really try and educate uh, the groups to say why um, why you need the vaccine and and why it, it was an important step to in preventing them from getting severely ill. So just thinking a, a bit strategically, strategically like that, maybe that was happening in some spots in the states that I'm not aware of, but um, I think that was huge. And you know, there's little things that we you know different states did different. Like I think more, outside of Ontario, most places really emphasize in-person schooling and saw the all the negative consequences of not having in-person schooling so i think um you know that's another one that comes to mind but um yeah the uh you know there was just a lot of um there was there was also probably i I don't want to lump a lump a bunch of states together but there were some states that were a little bit more loose if, if you know, compared to some of the other, uh, like compared to candidates in terms of restrictions and um, probably resulted in, in potentially some more uh, deaths, but uh, it's hard to say. But um, certainly I think we were strict, like more restrictive in in certain, uh, compared to certain states. Um, so add, adding all that up, maybe the, that's why. But uh, certainly, I think one of the most important thing that we did was separate uh, first doses with second. Fantastic. I wonder, um, you know, you talked about going and educating people, taking it to the hotspots and getting them, uh, you know, vaccinated and, and, and teaching them, you know, why uh, you might want to consider taking this vaccine. Have you personally had any experiences um, you know, I can I can relate a quick story. My brother's a, a, a nurse and he told me that uh, he had a patient come in and this patient was uh, older, um, kind of had a couple of those red flags for, you know, uh, pre-existing conditions, kind of things that would put you at risk for severe outcomes from COVID, um, who didn't initially want to take the vaccine, um, but his co- he, he, he was admitted for the ho- in the hospital uh, and it was not even a day, I don't think, maybe a day or two where, you know, his, his symptoms progressed really rapidly and, and asked, uh, I don't know if it was, you know, actually to my brother or another nurse, uh, on, uh, on that, on that shift. Um, Hey, is it too late to get one of those vaccines? Uh, and those, you know, that's just so sad to me that, uh, we, and I don't say like we, as in like, you know, all of society, but there's been some missteps that have caused people to, you know, have so much distrust. Um, and he ended up passing away, uh, 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 because of COVID. And, um, that's, that's such a, you know, heartbreaking story. And, and I, and I like to mention that to people just cause I, I think it's, you know, it's really, it's a really serious disease. Have you had any experiences like that yourself where, you know, it was a little bit too late and you just wish people would, you know, just trust that this, this is, uh, this is going to be for your benefit. Unfortunately, too often, uh, Jared, I, I can think of a few patients either got no doses or the one that got one dose and was waiting to get their second. I saw one where they booked their first appointment and got uh, COVID in between. 
Like it, it's it's heartbreaking. I I think one of the things that uh, maybe I don't know if people realize this, but at least in the world of ICU, what makes COVID even more tragic is that you get to know your patients at times. Because when they come to you, it's before needing, typically it's before they need to be on a ventilator where they can't communicate. So they usually come out on a lot of oxygen. You get to know them. You get to know their family. You get to know who they are. They usually have their wits about them. And then all of a sudden, they can't breathe anymore. So you got to put them on a form of life support. And unfortunately, about two-thirds, at least in, in our region, didn't make it after being put on a, sorry, a third. Yeah, two, survival was about, uh, sorry, let me rephrase it. About two-thirds would survive uh, and a third would pass away. So, and go through a very protracted admission to hospital with complications, severe weakness, PTSD, anxiety, depression, um, you know, uh, kidney issues. It, it's it, extremely challenging admission. And if you come coming into ICU with COVID, and so seeing patients go through that, and then uh, unfortunately, in that first wave, you would even see some patients die alone because you know the the visitor restrictions and so forth. But uh, yeah, it made it so hard to 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 have to watch this and and, and watch the patients go through this, um, watch the families have to go through this. So this is why I think you see a lot of um, emotion with healthcare providers when talking about vaccines, when they get frustrated with uh, patients that aren't vaccinated, because we we've seen how how dangerous it can be. And I'm not one to, you know, pass judgment for lifestyle choices. Like if you choose to get vaccinated or not get vaccinated, that's your choice. But I, I'm here to tell you like how significant going through an ICU admission or uh, the potential for dying for, uh, with COVID and knowing that being vaccinated significantly reduces your risk of that happening. Um, but yeah, I think that's why there's been so much emotion involved when you had stories like your brothers and, and stories that we just busted out there. Um, it's honestly, it's tragic. Sure. It is. It is a hundred percent. And I wonder, um, what what do you think in in communicating with patients in your own personal experience? What is usually that switch point, if there is any switch point, that someone that is let's say hesitant? Because I think there are you know there is like a subculture of you know what you know we would call anti-vaxxers, and I've you know I can't say I know any, but I can't imagine that they're ever really going to change their mind. But have you had any experiences where you? personally were able to maybe change someone's mind that was on the fence uh, and then they ended up getting vaccinated. Yeah. All, and this is one of the advantages of having a bit of a public platform. Like I've uh, even about a week and a half ago, this is February 23rd, a family, a black family recognized me in the mall. And uh, they said, ultimately said, you're the reason our family got vaccinated, you know, just through the, you know, that clear communication and, and, and clear messaging, which honestly made me a, a little weepy eyed knowing that uh, all that kind of advocacy could uh, at times could pay off. And I'm, I'm with you, Jared. There's a certain uh, portion of, of the population. You're not going to change their mind. And that's why, you know, uh, 
like we got to be cognizant of that. Like we're not going to get to 100% fully vaccinated. Like that's not a realistic expectation. But there are people that you, you, when they have they have legit legitimate concern. They reacted bad to the first uh, first dose of the vaccine. They have an autoimmune condition that gets exacerbated by vaccination. Um, their loved one had a bad reaction. Um, they uh, were worried about myocarditis because they've had heart problems in the past. They've, um, uh, you know, they've uh, just are nervous about the science and, and you sit down with them and you talk about the numbers and, and, and what they mean. And, and when you clarify some of these concerns, they, they're receptive to get, receiving the vaccine. So that's, that's why I, I really hated this approach of dichotomizing everybody saying, like, there's a lot of people that were waiting, to, didn't, weren't ready to get vaccinated, but they're not anti-vax. They're just got questions they got concerns they're 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 hesitant for quite often good reasons there's there's people too that had um previous infection and they asked them they asked a good question of like do i still need to get vaccinated if i've had a previous infection that's a legit quite like we shouldn't shun these people especially when different parts of the world were recognizing natural infection as a uh, as a, a a way of uh, of acknowledging it as um being immune so you know, this is why I think he, when it came to these discussions, it's get shame out of the picture. Let's talk it from a, from a place of compassion and have honest dialogue with people. And you'd be surprised the change that you could ha that could happen. And because the last thing you want is forcing your way on people and, and eventually forming some distrust. And then when you need them to listen, for whatever reason, you need a a new formulation of booster because of vaccine escape. You you want to have that relationship. You want them to to go to bat, but a lot, but you, you and that is based on trust and that is based on on being genuine and authentic with people. So that's I know that's a little motherly, but this is what I've seen, and this and it's actually the foundation of public health. Yeah. If I'm being honest, yeah. Yeah, one hundred percent, and and I love that. And uh, obviously, just for the record, Doctor K is is famous in Canada. People recognize him in the mall. Um, I don't know who this Drake guy is, but he's obviously has nothing on Doctor K because uh, uh, <laughs> you know he can't even he can't even go around the mall without people recognizing him. Um, but I think oh that's fair. Go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> no, I was just saying the one time ever <laughs> that someone recognized my face. My face uh, but yeah, no, it's uh, Drake. Look out, buddy. <laughs> Everyone, look out. he's you know, being humble. He's being humble. I know this happens to him on a weekly basis. I can just tell. Um, <laughs> his TikToks are, you know, grade A, uh, and so there's no way that this doesn't happen more often. So, um, no, but I think that's awesome. I think that's so cool that you're able to experience that. And um, I, I think I love the way you put it. Is just people have genuine concerns. It's not that they, you know, it's not that they want to. Uh, you know, do their part, or for lack of a better term, um, it, it's that they that it, it was so rapid, right? This vaccine came out in less than a year, and so naturally, people are going to have concerns. And you know, this was uh, this was just a problem that I saw all, all the time here in California. Is that people with genuine concerns were, were most times met with um, finger pointing and and that you know dichotomy of if you're not vaccinated and you don't agree to get the vaccine, you are, you know, shouldn't be a part of uh, society anymore. And it's just, it doesn't change anybody's minds. And I just, I always was like, 
when are you guys going to realize that this isn't working? This messaging isn't working. Um, and so anyway, I thought it was so true. It's so let's, let's, let's transition now into the urgency of normal toolkit. Um, I've shared this on a few of my social media platforms because I think it's a really fantastic, um, uh, I would say like a, a slide, a PowerPoint slide. Uh, it's got great data in there. Um, talk to me a little bit how you got involved with this. Um, what what uh, sort of got you to say, you know what, you know, I'm going to sign on to this because I support this. Yeah, it, it, what it came down to was like we I've always preached that we need to be data driven in our decision making and we needed to be honest with people. We need to people need to know their genuine risk when it comes to COVID and our interventions around uh, mitigation. And the group approached me saying, you know, let's create a document where you can have the data in front of people, decision makers, because, you know, the one one of many the one blessing that we, you could see from COVID and, and was that our children relative to adults or had much better uh, survival. And, and and it's been like, honestly, if it was affecting kids in the way it was affecting adults, it was, would be such a different landscape. And I'm coming at it from a, a lens of a father of three here. And uh, so when the group said, you know what, let's create the document and, and the toolkit for people that want to know and to be able to advocate for kids going back to more of a normal existence, because we can't forget that the interventions that we put on our kids, in my opinion, haven't weighed out to the, the risk to the kids. Like, it's an, it shouldn't be taboo to say this, but me driving my kid to their soccer practice had a higher risk of mortality than them dying from COVID. Right. And, and yet we're still putting all these measures in and we have vaccines and we have um, Omicron that's spread throughout the community. And we, we're not talking about a return to normal. We're not talking about how we transition. And and this was a document that's going to help with that. And it's iterative in, in the sense that, you know, if there is new data to support or go against what we're saying, it gets to be implemented. And I, I was, like, obviously, in, in the Twitter sphere, people were, like, people would get medieval with this thing. Yeah, but I saw I was, <laughs> I'm so proud of this. Yeah. Like, I'm so proud oh, of this because yeah. it's, you know, it's, it's providing people with data and, and, and to support their decision making. And, you know, what people need right now is two years in the pandemic and people need hope. Yeah. People need to show that all their efforts are leading to uh, are making a difference and leading back, leading us back to normal life. And from the data that I'm seeing, there's no reason why we can't push towards that. And you're seeing countries, you're seeing states more and more moving towards uh, returning back to normal life. And I, what I always say, to, honestly, uh, Jared, to all the naysayers is like, if what, what is your solution, long-term solution to the, to COVID? Mm -hmm. What is it, is it going to be? Are we going to, you know, mass forever? Are we going to distance forever? Are we going to uh, reduce capacity forever? Are we going to potentially school, uh, open and close schools? Like, we can't forget that all these interventions have a negative impact. Right. Like school closures, for example, child abuse, obesity, uh, mental health, eating disorders, um, ability for uh, for healthcare providers to be at the bedside, knowing that they 
they they don't like with the potential of having to homeschool their kids. It's harder to get to to work if you know there's no one home to take care of your kids. Uh, feeding programs, um, all these things are being impacted by school closures. Let alone no evaluate and true evaluation of the the quality of the education that they're receiving. It's it's so to, for us to just say oh you know we could keep doing what we're doing. That's nonsense. And I always say to those epidemiologists and all those naysayers, I'm like, give us a, an alternative. Give me an alternative that is sustainable, yeah. okay? And because uh, what we're doing right now is far from that. And so uh, I, I get a little bit jazzed up about it because uh, there's been, as I said, Jared, some swings uh, uh, taken on us. But, I, I, I you know, I got to say, this has been featured on CNN. It's been featured on, on major news networks. A lot of uh, public health uh, air, uh, officials using the toolkit as a source to be able to uh, allow our kids get to get back to normal life. And this is a time to be talking about it. Like, not to deviate too much there, Jared, but, you know, university students now or college students, double, triple vaxxed, not doing in-person schooling. Like, it's it, what's happening? The, the, the people that are of lowest risk. Like we gotta get back to we gotta get back to normal and you know if if I could be a part of promoting something that to do this and using my platform or our platform to be able to uh, advocate for this I'll absolutely do that one hundred percent and you know I I just wanna I just wanna double down on what you're saying is uh, especially with remote school my mom is a K through twelve educator. Um, it's more specifically second graders and hopefully uh, hopefully if she does listen to this which i know she does um hopefully i don't get in trouble for mentioning this but uh she would she would always text us uh, us being my siblings you know the stories of well i turned on i turned on my and this was you know back in 2020 i, I turned on my zoom room today and you know there was so and so jumping on his bed uh doing backflips uh during class and it's like if you really think remote school is working and of course i'm not saying that 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 kid is you know uh you know should be punished for that i mean is a second grader, right? I mean, that's what that's what second graders do is they're crazy. Um, but you, yeah. you're crazy if you think remote learning is the way to go. Um, I just, I, 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 I still am amazed that's the the amount of of people that subscribe to that idea that hey, remote, like we can make this remote learning thing work. Anyway, uh, going off on a little bit of a tangent. No, um, but I'm with you. I'm with you. I got a kid in grade two. He, he, this was not for him. I got three active boys yeah. and they were not, this is, you know, this is not conducive with awesomeness. Yeah. And, uh, you know, at some, you know, so like, yeah, I, 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 I guess I just want to echo what you're saying. Now, when, when you and your colleagues, uh, call, uh, when you say normal, what is that? Um, what are you hoping that that looks like? Uh, I know th there's a, there's a big conversation happening right now about learning to live with COVID. Um, which, you know, I find funny that we're, you know, it took us two years to talk about that. Um, but what is this normal? What is what does that look like for you and your colleagues? Yeah, I mean, for the kids, it's back to normal life for kids to be able to play their sports, to be able to have in-person schooling, to be able to take the mask off uh, and interact with uh, with uh, and, and read your facial expressions and, and, and so forth. Like, you know, this is the time. In, in my opinion, this is the time as we, we see 
vaccination rates, at least I could speak mostly in my jurisdiction, vaccination rates are incredible. We've had hybrid immunity amongst so many folks because they've had access to Omicron, unfortunately. Um, at this time, currently, low, like a descend in terms of, of hospitalizations. Um, like, I, you always got to ask yourself, what are we waiting for? Like, when is going to be the time? Then we also have the idea that right now we have therapeutics available. So monoclonal antibodies. We have oral uh, uh, antivirals such as Paxlovid. We have other uh, tools such as fluoxamine. It's an antidepressant that's shown to reduce um, hospitalizations amongst COVID patients. Like we have more tools than we ever had before, and uh, a, a less virulent vi- vi- uh, variant right now. So, to me, you know, if it's not now, when is it? And then, once again, what is the long-term solution? And uh, once again, I'll emphasize this is my opinion, Jared. Like it's very clear. Like people often get surprised by what I when I say this. I am. I have yet to be surprised at a COVID patient that I've seen in the intensive care unit. And I'm sure there's exceptions, but I've yet to see a healthy individual in the intensive care unit. Sure. It's, it, it discriminates. And so what I tell you know, thought leaders is, we know who's likely to land in ICU. Let's, let's make sure we intervene as much as we can on those patients. Make sure that they're, you know, if they, they're double or triple vaxxed uh, to reduce their risk. Make sure they have quick, easy access to testing. Make sure that they have quick and easy access to therapeutics, So when, which work. So when you get a monoclonal antibody treatment, when you're a uh, 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 um, uh, uh, renal transplant patient, you reduce your risk of being landing in hospital. Like, let's use the tools that we know are effective and we have at our disposal to prevent hospitals from being overrun. It's time. It's uh, it's so like this is where I'm coming from, and why I feel more confident than ever that this is this is the time to to start to live with it and and to progress. I obviously you know don't want to be uh, and you already know this I don't want to like be the bearer of bad news but it has you know it has gained its criticism. Um, I want to and I was trying to obviously there's a lot of uh, you know loud voices out there on Twitter like you mentioned. Um, and I, I was sorting through some of it, trying to see like if I could, you know, pull something just to share to give people an idea of what kind of criticism that it's facing and then give you uh, a chance to, to respond and why this I think it's I think it'll be pretty easy. Just, it's far fetched. This quote that I that I found, it's pretty far fetched. Um, so l- let me know your thoughts on this. The, the physicians and scientists of the urgency of normal uh, are cherry picking data in their push to end pandemic precautions, but are getting favorable mainstream media attention and support from wealthy white communities that never felt the full brunt of COVID-19. This is from author uh, Melody Schreiber. Uh, Hopefully I'm pronouncing that right. Dr. K, your thoughts. Yeah, I I mean, there was no cherry picking of data. This was an iterative process in terms of you know, if there's new emerging data that comes across, we would consider it. And, you know, we even acknowledge pa- papers that would go against what uh, are the what we were our conclusions, but would talk about why we felt that the papers aren't strong enough to to be uh, considered. You know, when it comes to, uh, you know, it being like elite whites, rich 
approach. Like you got to remember, all these kind of restrictions hit the hit the marginalized community the hardest. Yeah. Like you would meet. Like this was this was like a, a motivator for me. We started a charity, Bridges Over Barriers, to help support our our community during the pandemic mm-hmm. because they were so hard hit. You, moms would have to choose between: do I go to work or do I do I teach my kids? Right. You know, that's the reality. They're choosing between, oh, they might have just lost their job and now having to try and uh, uh, find a way to feed their families, let alone uh, try and educate their kids. In Ontario, in Canada, there's over over 200,000 kids that were just lost to the system during these school closures. And for them to say it's, uh, it's to be convenient for white elites and, and so forth, like, Look at me. I ain't no white elite dog. Like I, you know, like I, I'm, I'm doing this for the people that can't speak for themselves. And no, and like people just are, are scared. People are anxious. And I still push to whoever's going against this is what is their long-term solution? I am all ears because, yep. uh, you know, I, you know, I, we all have our blind spots and I'm welcome to hear alternatives, but wh- I, I haven't heard of a, sustainable solution coming from the other side and uh this this idea that it's not equitable i i I, honestly i still don't see it and what my honest opinion is they're using that as a a tool to 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 try and uh uh, promote their side of more restriction a restrictive approach and i'll tell you right now it's disgusting okay you using race and, and and marginalized community to 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 push your agenda is is offside as a person of color enough yeah. it's not coming from a genuine place and it, it's and it's uh an ugly tactic and it's time to grow up as, as far as i'm concerned so sorry to get a little bit testy about that Jer- jared but it's it's frankly offensive the more i think about it that you're gonna make those implications when um you know where were the a lot of them where were their voices when the kids were struggling to account for all those school kids that were lost. Um, I'm sure that they had adequate Wi-Fi, like all these simple things that could have been advocated for. And I don't remember hearing all those uh, from the other side. So um, that's that's what I would say. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, I don't want to pour salt in the wound, um, but you you saw I saw that you tweeted out. um uh, uh, the response to the, uh, I want to make sure I get the name right. Urgency of equity toolkit, um, which, uh, you don't get a good grade on the name because you kind of took it from someone else. Uh, so (laughs) you're off to a bad start in my opinion. Um, but personally I, I, I read through it again and, and I want to emphasize like when I started this show, like I knew I was going into it without a scientific background and I, and I kind of wanted that to be the point because, I wanted to take medical professionals and translate it into, you know, plain English. And so even without that, that, that background, you know, I read through it and I, and I just, I couldn't help but think if this, it, it well, so firstly, it sounded, this is like what we've been doing for two years. That's what this, this toolkit, this urgency of equity toolkit, it's what we've been doing for two years. So your solution is to continue doing what we've been doing in order to solve the problem that we're currently in. That doesn't make any sense. And I took <laughs> I took a problem with one point in particular, uh, and I don't know why this drove me nuts, and you know maybe it drove you nuts too. Uh, but it said 400 teachers, and it was talking about school closures. Uh, 400 teachers have died uh, of COVID. 
Okay, and that is 100% tragic. And, and my heart goes out to the families, to the individuals that have suffered because of those deaths. Uh, but to, to use that as a, okay, these teachers have died, therefore we must, we must restrict childhood activity. But you don't even know where, you know where those teachers were. Where did they contract the virus? Did they get it from school? Were they going to a bar or a restaurant, which were you know open most you know most times than not, and while schools were closed, did they even were they even in you know in the classroom when they died of COVID? Were we doing remote learning? I mean, it was just it was such a it was such a silly point. Uh, now now you're, yeah. you're transferring that that jazz onto me now. Uh, now I'm getting fired. Yeah, so no, I'm gonna let you, I'm, I'm gonna I'm let you respond. No, no, but you're you're asking the exact questions that you need to ask. Like it's you you could cherry pick uh, data to m- make any case. You know, like is, when were those 400? Unfortunately, wh- where did they contract COVID? It could have easily been during school closures. Mm-hmm. Could have been in the height of a wave where they where where, think, where, where um, we were locked down, shut down in the first place. Like there's so many so much nuance to that. And we're at a stage now where we know what you can, we know how to protect we we know how to protect yourself. Like mm-hmm. we know that vaccines are, are essential. If you're really worried, the, the teacher could put on a high quality mask to protect themselves. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Um, like all these things are at your disposal. So you know to hinder the future of our youth without a a a, a plan long term is not a, a solution it's not a i don't even want, you, we can't even start the dialogue if you don't have a, a long term solution so i'm i'm preach, you're preaching to the choir right now yeah i i wonder you know i wonder if i and living in a place like california um so during the pandemic i was uh, I was living in Idaho going to school and then school went remote. So I just decided to move back with family and to California. And it's just, it's crazy to me to see the, the, the stark contrast, you know, um, people in a place like Idaho who had gotten vaccinated or were naturally immune, uh, moved on. Um, COVID was still very real to them, but they moved on. But here in, in a place like California, where and where I live in particular, uh, in the San Francisco Bay Area, we have some of the highest vaccination rates in the country, and but we're like the most restrictive. Like, like, do these vac- do the vaccines work or no? Right? Because if they do, then mm-hmm. we should be we should be letting go. Uh, but anyway, I wonder. I know you're very big on you know some of the the trends that I I see you talking about are things like wellness and burnout. I kind of wanted to end uh, our dialogue with. Um, what is your suggestion for people, uh, maybe not, because uh, I know you, you talk a lot about physician burnout, but those individuals uh, that are feeling COVID burnout um, and are seeking to sort of restore that that pre-pandemic wellness, what are your thoughts to them? What's your advice to them? Um, what do you got for us? Yeah, I, I love that question. I, I think y- you need to, to be number one proactive with this. Like this is not something that you should approach passively and just saying, hey, you know what? Things are going to, I'll just passively get into a normal life again because you've been conditioned to be at home in front of a laptop, not moving and disconnected. And if if I were to 80-20, you know, trying to re, re, improve wellness right now, or, and, and for me, it's connecting with people again, you know, and finding a way to do that. Like I had the gift of coming to work throughout the pandemic, uh, but, you know, 
that difference that it made when I got to go and see my my teammates again playing hockey. It was tremendous. Going out for beers again, amazing. Connecting with we had a couple of events with our podcast team and our wellness team, and it felt so beautiful to laugh, to smile again, and the impact that it would have on your mood, and that and, and everything just starts to 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 cycle when that happens. You you get you know you you sleep better. Your more willingness to get outside and to exercise. You're you're you you you, you eat better. You're not just sitting at home munching on some uh, Doritos. Like it just everything kind of falls into place when you feel that connection and you feel that uh, uh, that bond with whoever you might be close to. So, if I were to choose where to focus, it would just be to create those uh, connections. And it's not hard. Like you just yo yo Willie, let's go for a beer. You know, let's uh, let's go for a like a, a bike ride or a walk. Uh, uh, you know, like whatever it might be. I, I, I like mixing activity with uh, being social. That's one of the one of the, one of the life hacks that I like to throw down. I'm I'm a big. It's another conversation, but I, I take efficiency really really um, seriously just because trying to balance everything. I think you you need to put some thought into being efficient. But yeah, if you're uh, you can mix activity with connection, like ski. Like I'm in uh, Canada, obviously, so skating with a buddy, skiing with a buddy. Um, you know, uh, as I mentioned, playing hockey, all these things. It, it's it, it is it's physically active. It's creating connection. It's clearing your mind. It's being outside, getting your vitamin D, and it's uh, it, it's just it's a great way of like creating some wins. Yeah, one hundred percent. And I, I think, um, I think you've communicated very well that we are at a turning point. Um, it is, it is safe, so to speak. Uh, if you're vaccinated or, um, you know, naturally immune, I know that it will get you canceled nowadays. But you know, you, there, there's a lot of there's a lot of positive things going on. Um, so for listeners, uh, obviously, call to action uh, from Doctor K: Get out, go socialize. Uh, you know, get back to that pre-pandemic um, vibe and. Um, go check out Dr. K uh, on TikTok, on Twitter. His TikToks are tons of fun. Um, I lose track of time. Uh, you know, 30 minutes go by and I'm like, oh man, I really got to get to, I got to get to work. I've been watching too much Dr. K on TikTok. Uh, so please check him out. And we've had a fantastic conversation. Dr. K, thank you so much for, for joining us. Jared, I really appreciate the opportunity. Keep killing it, my friend. Keep doing this. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you again for listening to this episode of Cliffs and Fences. If you want to help the channel, leave a five-star review in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on Instagram and YouTube for clips and podcast updates.